Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. It's been, uh, hey, have we got a new visitor in church? What about that? How about that? Well, praise the Lord. That's great. And obviously you're out of the hospital or you snuck out one of the two. <laughs> Outstanding. Ephesians chapter 6, it's been 10 years since I preached on uh, the armor of God of, first, of Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, the battle's still raging, by the way, and we still need the armor. So I figured better take some time. Now, not that we haven't touched on it a few times in messages in the last 10 years. But we haven't gone into great detail, and we're going to do that for the next few weeks go into some great detail on this matter from uh, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10 and through verse 18. So let's start by reading the whole passage. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus I pray you'd bless our time together tonight. May we understand the battle is still raging. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that we will be well armed. I pray that we will be well spiritually armed for what's before us. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. Though we walk after the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. So, Heavenly Father, please teach us tonight. And God, uh, do a work in our lives, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I am convinced that the answer to most all of life's problems are simply found in the Word of God. Now, I know the doctors and physicians, they believe it's a pill. Uh, not all of them, but a good number of them believe it's all in a pill. And if you can just find the right pill, then you'll be taken care of. And we have come up with, in the last 50 years, an alphabet soup full of uh, descriptions of maladies that it's not our fault. And we've got pills for each one of those things. And it's just like the depression pills, by the way. Uh, when it comes to the depression pills, all the warnings on all the TVs with all the advertisements, one of the side effects of the antidepressants is depression. Another one of the side effects of antidepressants is suicide. It's amazing how many they have linked of these mass shooters that have taken place, how many of them either just got on antidepressants within the last six weeks or just got off of them in the last six weeks or stopped taking their meds. The problem is most of the problems that people have today have their basic root problem in sin. When you think of antidepressants, think of the job that we preachers have to do. 
Why do a lot of people, why are they depressed? Some are depressed. A good number are depressed because they felt guilty. And they felt guilty because they did some things they knew they shouldn't have done. Now, I'm not trying to oversimplify this, but when you don't deal with sin, it comes back to bite you in a big way. And it will get you down. By the way, when it comes to depression, there are physical causes for depression. For instance, low blood sugar, one of the symptoms of that uh, is depression. Uh, There's about 20 different things that uh, depression is a symptom of. Some of those are physical. Other of those have to do with decisions made in life for the most part. And uh, we need to find the answers in the scripture. There's a lot of things that people are, have swallowed, which is why they swallow so many pills, uh, that the Bible's never said anything about. Not because it didn't know about the problems. For instance, nobody, nobody anymore is demon-possessed. Everybody's an epileptic. Now, epilepsy is a real thing. That's a real thing. But not everybody who is diagnosed as being epileptic Not every one of them is it epilepsy that's the problem. I mean, just read the scripture. And there's just a lot of things that people have today, but we don't want to feel guilty about anything. We want to be told that there's nothing we can do or nothing we can change or nothing we can say to make ourselves better. We've got to depend on the professionals. They're the ones to help us. Now... As we get in the scripture, we're going to find God has given us some things to help us in a great way. For instance, uh, in the Bible, we have the doctrines that are there to teach us and to ground us. We've got warnings in the scripture to alert us and to prepare us. Those warnings are to be heeded. Just like in Galatians 6, 7, and 8, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth of the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. He gives us rebukes to correct us. And all of us need correction from time to time. He gives us promises to sustain us and thank God for the marvelous promises of God. And there are encouragements to comfort us. We have all that in the scripture. We have all that we need. It's really amazing how many Christians, though, fall by the wayside. Often, as we see the Christian life is described as a battle here, uh, we think of battles, we think of people getting hit by stray bullets, unintended shots that just happen to take people out by accident. But in the spiritual battles, we're never hit by strays. The devil knows who he's aiming at. Uh, Now, that doesn't mean that people who hurt you always meant to hurt you. Sometimes the devil just took advantage of someone who got careless in their Christian walk and the devil used them as the weapon to set you back a little bit. How you handle those setbacks will have an awful lot to do with whether or not you progress in your Christian life. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 17. It is impossible, but what offenses will come. You cannot live on this planet without being offended by somebody. And you cannot live on this planet without offending somebody. That's just the way it is. Whether you mean to or not, that is not the issue. The offense is real to the person that's been offended, even if it wasn't meant for an offense. 
I hope I said that right. And I hope you got it correctly. Now, I want to interject. What I'm talking about today with this study is really only for the saved. I, I, the lost cannot put on the armor of God. They can't do it. They're going to have to get saved to be able to put on the armor of God. God has protection for his people if they'll simply use the protection. And by the way, if you don't put on the armor, then you're unprotected. The armor is there for a reason. And a lot of people lose because they don't put on the armor. Because they think that they're tough enough as a believer to do it on their own. They don't need what God has to say in the word, so they think. So we're going to look at some real problems that confront us. And why we need the whole armor of God. As we started out, he first tells us, Find them, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. If you're going to be a sissy all your life and just complain about every little thing that's said that strikes you the wrong way, then, dear friend, you're not strong. You're weak. It amazes me how many people who think they're very, very spiritual get offended very, very easily. There's something wrong with that. We should be a very difficult people to offend. I heard somebody say a long time ago, remember a chip on the shoulder indicates wood higher up. And there are a lot of Christians who walk around with a chip on their shoulder just daring other people to knock it off. And that's part of the problem. So let's notice some things here in the passage. First of all, there are the wiles of the devil to deceive us. He says in verse 11... Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, we're going to be getting into the armor of God that he mentions that we are to put on later on. Right now, one of the reasons for the armor of God is the fact that the, the wiles of the devil are there to deceive us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, God tells us in that verse that we are not ignorant of the devil's devices. We're not ignorant. Now, he may have some new toys to use, but really his devices have always been the same. He doesn't need new things. What he has works really well with believers still today. The wiles of the devil. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14, the Bible says he has transformed himself into an angel of light. Remember, Jesus said of the Jews in his day that were arguing with him in John chapter 8, he said, year of your father the devil and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. The devil is not about truth. God's word is truth. And when the devil makes his first appearance in Scripture in Genesis chapter 2, very first words out of his mouth, he is questioning the word of God. Yea, hath God said, and then the next step, he is denying the word of God. Ye will not surely die. Listen, you need to hang on to the Scripture. You need to understand God's word is truth. Jesus said to the Father in John chapter 17, Thy word is truth. And it is truth. We can count on God's word. He's right about anything that he says anything about. It's God. He knows everything. You and I don't. But the devil has nothing new. Maybe some new technology, but the basic scheme 
is still the same. Now, I'll remind you that in that passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, one of the wiles of the devil that we are warned of, there he's referring in chapter 2 to the man who'd been taken in adultery with his father's wife that he referred to in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And he told the church that they were to turn such a one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved the day of the Lord Jesus. Well, evidently, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the man, after being... Uh, after the church dealt with him, got right. And so now he tells the church that they are to forgive him lest Satan get an advantage of you for we are not ignorant of his, uh, we're not ignorant of his devices. One of his devices is unforgiveness. And so he warns the church about that. And by the way, unforgiveness is one of those things that has plagued churches throughout the entire church age. That's why earlier in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And I know I've heard people say, but they don't deserve it. Well, you didn't deserve his forgiveness. That's the point that he's making. I mean, the world needs to see a people who understand forgiveness. And if they're not going to see it in us, who are they going to see it in? We've been forgiven. Because we've been forgiven, we ought to be willing to forgive. And when it comes to forgiveness, that means you take it off their account. You give up the right to bring it up again. And if you haven't done that, you haven't forgiven. Oh, I forgive you. And then the next time you have a little spat, you bring up the same thing again. Well, you're a liar because you didn't forgive. You said you did, but you didn't. You didn't take it off the account. Forgiveness is taking it off the account. Hey, that's what God did for us. He took our sins off our account. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. We have such a great God. Amen. The wiles of the devil. When you consider that we have a deceptive heart, it's not too hard for him to use that too. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? There's a reason why God tells us that we're to keep our heart with all diligence For out of it are the issues of life. And then when he tells us how to keep our hearts, the first thing he says is put away from you a froward mouth. You've got to watch what comes out of your mouth or you'll lose your heart. And then he says, let your eyes look right on. You've got to be careful what you look at. And then he says, and ponder the path of thy feet. You've got to be careful where you go. If you're careless in any of those matters, you will lose your heart. Your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And we all have a heart and that's part of the problem of the heart. And then you've got the deceitfulness of sin, which is why in Hebrews 3.13, he tells us to exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There's a statement that was written back in the 1700s, I believe it was the 1700s, by Samuel Pope. And it goes like this, sin is a monster of such frightful means, has to be hated but be seen. Yet seen too oft, familiar with her face, is first endured and then pitied and then embraced. Now he didn't have the example of television, 
But I can go back to the 1950s television where nobody cussed ever. Had they cussed on television, the station would have been fine, the network would have been fine, the FCC would have taken them down, and people would have been fired. In the 1960s, I was a radio disc jockey. Back then, I don't know if it's true today, probably not, but uh, back then, you had to have a license to be a disc jockey at a regular radio station. Had to get a, uh, what was it called, a third something license. And uh, if, man, if you cussed on the radio, your job was over, you were done, that was it. You couldn't, you couldn't say a foul word. But that's not the case today. Today, you got people like Howard Stern. Today, you've got the most vulgar and vilest of people with a microphone in front of them. And they think there's something special because they can cuss. I got news for you. I've heard three-year-old kids cuss. That doesn't make you adult to be able to say a dirty word. Kids do that when, that, when they're brought up in that kind of a home. But now today, hey, the worst of all words are used on both television, internet, all the time. Politicians use them and think nothing of it. Before, they never would have done that in front of a TV camera. But they do it now. Vulgar people, just vulgar people. Now, what's happened? We got used to it. We knew it was wrong before, but we got used to it. Now we use that to emphasize our speech that somehow that means that we mean it. Well, if you don't mean what you say without a curse word, then you're just a dishonest individual. And there's something wrong with your character if you cannot convey thoughts without cursing. You didn't get some proper training at home someplace. Hey, I was brought up in a home of drinking and cussing. The only time I heard the name Jesus growing up was as a curse word. We didn't know any better. We didn't know a bit better. We didn't know anything about God. But knowing God, that ought to make a difference in what comes out of our mouth. You see, the devil, he is a deceiver. He is wicked. He does. He is the original trickster. It's not the joker. It's him. And he'll give all kinds of excuses like, hey, tomorrow. You can get that settled tomorrow. Put it off tomorrow. God wants you right today. God wants the lost saved right now. He doesn't want them to wait till next Sunday. He wants them saved right now. If you're not saved tonight, you're here, you're lost. God wants you to get saved tonight. He wants you born again. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. Or they think like this. Well, it won't hurt me. That's not that big of a deal. I can handle it. Remember in the series that I just did on holiness, one of our problems is we're more concerned with the size of the sin than we are the fact of sin. And it's the fact of sin that is the problem. If we're going to hate sin, we got to hate it all. If you think some of it's okay because it's little sin, then you're going to be in it all the time. And that's always going to keep you defeated in your Christian walk. Justification by looking at others, and yet the Bible says, so then every one of us should give account of himself to God. Well, look at that one over there. Look what he did. Look what she did. No, no, you've got to stand before God. That ought to be enough reason to keep right with God. Somebody else not being right with God doesn't make you right with God. But you're trying to use them to justify what you do. He's a deceiver, and he is clever at it. Trust in the Lord, God says, with all thine heart. Lean not into thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. 
Proverbs 14, 12, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You can't trust yourself, and definitely don't trust your heart. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 26, It is a fool that trusteth his own heart. Don't teach your kids to follow their heart. Tell them to follow God. Tell them to follow the Word of God. Tell them to follow Jesus. But definitely not their own heart. So there are the wiles of the devil to deceive us. Now, that's one part of the battle. But then he says in the next verse, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, you understand, God's going to write all this. That's coming. And thank God he's provided salvation for us in the meantime. But this is a serious battle. Hollywood has brought about a fake devil, and people believe it. It's kind of like we seem to be flooded today especially on all these side networks, whether it be Discovery or, or all, those, all those other strange networks that are out there today, we are bombarded with the paranormal. And don't you know when a bunch of people died in one place that those spirits may still be hovering around? That is nonsense. That is a lie. People die, they go to heaven or hell, they don't stick around and stay at a place. You get that. When they die, they go to heaven or hell. Now, are there demons? Yes, there are demons. But those demons are not people. They're fallen angels. That's what they are. You say, preacher, how do you know that? I've read the Bible. And it's amazing to me. People bring out these little bitty machines. It's like looking for Sasquatch. And they do their EVP or whatever they call it. And, uh, and they talk. And if it lights up, it tells you that there's a spirit. Nonsense. But people are sold out to that wickedness. It's simply witchcraft that's dressed up like some of these benevolent spirits out there. I'll tell you, the spirits that are out there are not benevolent. So, but <laughs> we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We get upset. We like to get upset with the politicians, and that may be okay. They need Jesus like everybody else needs Jesus, like we needed Jesus, and all of that. But the truth is, there are forces behind all this. You say, preacher, do you believe in a conspiracy? Yeah, the devil and his angels, they're at it all the time. And they're behind the wickedness that is going on. Yeah, that conspiracy is the conspiracy I believe in. And yes, the Antichrist is going to take over power. That is coming. And yes, there's going to be a time of great tribulation when the Antichrist is ruling the world. He makes a covenant with Israel for seven years. And in the middle of it, he breaks it and sets himself up as God in the temple. I know that. How? God's already told us about that. I don't have to worry about it. I won't be here. I'll be out of here by then. If you want to stick around, you go ahead and stick around. Not me, buddy. I'm going to be in heaven. I'd rather watch it from above with the Lord. And getting my horse all saddled and ready to come back with Jesus. That's, praise the Lord. That's just good stuff right there. But when you surrender to serve God, believe me, there's a battle. I remember I, had, I was visiting over on Stringer's Ridge, just on the other side of the Tennessee River there in Chattanooga. And uh, there was a lady in a mobile home there. I, don't, I can't remember who was with me. And so I, I said, wouldn't you like to know Christ as Savior? She said, no, no. She said, if I did that, the devil would give me a hard time. 
I said, yeah, but if, if you trust Christ as Savior, greater is he that is in you than is he that in the world. You, you don't have to be concerned about the devil so much because you'll have a greater power living within you. But she was so hung up on the devil that she just couldn't turn to Jesus. That was her problem. You surrender to live for God. Understand there's going to be a battle. If you have a decision to make, and uh, you're trying to find God's will. Maybe it's to take a particular job or whatever. Uh, or you decide to go soul winning, decide to teach a Sunday school class or something else. The devil's not going to be happy with that. He's going to give you a hard time. I can't tell you how many people, when I went to Bible college, how many people at Bible college, they go to Bible college and the devil gives them a hard time. And then they come, well, evidently I made an emotional decision and since I made an emotional decision, evidently with all this trouble, evidently God doesn't really want me to preach. I'd say the trouble's a sign that he did want you to preach. Because now you're having trouble with the devil, and he's not, he doesn't like God's servants. There's going to be some trials and some troubles going. We're on a battlefield. It's in a game. It's not a football game. By the way, even in a football game, the other team tries to tackle the runner. Tries to knock the other team down, do whatever they can to win the game. That's a, this isn't a game, though. This is reality. This is the way it is. We're in a battle. How many people have I seen get sold out for God and excited about the things of God? Then they get laid off at work. Or suddenly they have a lot of overtime given to them so that they're going to have to miss some church. Or they, they, uh, the sickness in the family and they need to miss church. Or financial problems crop up that they didn't have before. Now God may be doing a number of things in that. The financial problems may simply be because God wants you to get you to trust Him. And to look to Him instead of MasterCard. Or American Express. We put way too much faith in the credit card companies and, and the banks and what we do in our God. I've yet to see the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. That's what the psalmist said. And he's right. But the battle is there to defeat us, and too many get defeated in the battle. I remember when I pastored up at Tennessee Ridge, most of our men worked for TVA. And they worked, well, anywhere TVA had one of their plants. And it seems like just as our men, we'd have revival, a lot of decisions to be made, people getting right with God. And uh, then suddenly, DVA would put them all on 710s or 712s, which meant they had to work every day of the week for the next six to ten weeks. And every day of the week, they wore out. They had to miss every church service. By the time they got back, it felt like we were starting all over again. When I came here, I hadn't been here real long, and we had six of our men get put on second shift. All at the same time. And I don't think they all worked at the same place. But we had six men put on second shift. That's when I decided to start the Wednesday morning service. Because I didn't want those men to miss a midweek service. And so I started preparing my message, made sure it was done early enough for us to have the service at 11 o'clock. Preach the same message Wednesday morning that I preached Wednesday night. I've been doing that now for almost 32, maybe 33 years. After we started that, I think the devil saw that he wasn't going to win that battle. And so what happened was he allowed five of those men to go back on first shift. And then one man had to endure that message all by himself. And he's still here. That's Mark Moore. Bless his heart. He'd get the whole load. 
You know, like I'm preaching right now, I look around, I don't look at anybody very long, but when you only got one person in the service, you're looking at the same person the whole time you're talking. So I'm sure it had to seem like I was always just talking to him, but he was the only one there. That's how that worked out. But the reality is every pastor is going to be in a battle when it comes to counseling. You know, you realize when it comes to counseling, like families, marriages, man, a marriage hangs in the balance. You want to give, you've got to give the right advice. You give the wrong advice, you could destroy the marriage. That's a lot of pressure. I'm going to answer for those I try to help. Therefore, I, I always try to rely on what does God say? What does God say? What does God say? I mean, sometimes I, I've wanted to tell somebody, well, knock him in the head. Wait till he gets asleep. Get yourself a big old frying pan and just teach him something about treating you right. Nope, I've never done that. I've never told him to do that. May have wanted to, never have. I may have wanted to tell a few men, yeah, get yourself a nice piece of duct tape that'll go around that mouth several times. I've never told anybody that. Not that I haven't wanted to and haven't thought about it. I can remember one time, but that story needs to wait for another time. <laughs> in, any part, <laughs> in any part of service, in trying to be a help to others, sticking to the word of God, it's a battle. And, I, you know, it's gotten so over the years, I'm actually surprised. When somebody takes the counsel. I think most people come in for counsel wanting me to agree with them. Instead of actually getting counsel that will help. Now, and I tell people, I, I've said this I don't know how many times. But I, I tell folks, it's easy for me to give the counsel. You've got the hard part, that's doing it. Because you're not going to feel like doing it but to do right doesn't always feel good but it brings the best results doing right I'll tell you what's right to do the problem here's here's one of the problems that you have in counseling I'm just sharing with you right now I'm not really preaching so much right now but all I know about any situation is what both of them tell me and I know that both of them don't tell me the whole story See, even after I've heard from both of them, I really don't know everything that's gone on. Now, it's funny, and some people who've only heard one person's story, they think they've got it all down. And they get upset with me when that person tells them the counsel I gave them. But I know more about it than what they know about it. And they don't know near as much about it as they think they know about it. So I've gotten to the place where I tell folks, either see me for counsel or see your friends. But don't see me and then go blab it to your friends. They've already made up their mind. We're just wasting our time. I also tell them the first time you come to see me is free. Preacher, do you charge for that? Yes. How much? No, it's not how much. You see, in order to see me the second time, they got to do what I told them to do the first time. Because if they're not going to do what I told them to do, I got better things to do with my time just sit in the office and hear a bunch of crying that they're, they're not going to get right about anyway. Boy, that sounds harsh, doesn't it? What do you think about that, Bobby? Don't you think that sounds a little harsh? It is true. Thank you very much. How about Brother Nelson? 
What do you think? Do you think that's true? Well, <laughs> he was a little hesitant there. Did you notice that? <laughs> but the reality, and it's a long battle. I've been alive for 74 years. And I didn't know anything about the battle because I was lost the first 22 years of my life. But after I got saved, I realized something's going on here. The Holy Spirit of God came to live within me as he comes to live within every person that gets born again. And the Bible says, The flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Now, that's reality. As long as you're alive on this planet, there's going to be a battle. You're saved. There's going to be a battle. But hey, Jesus has won the victory for us. Now let's live the victory. It's going to be tough at times. It's going to be hard. The devil doesn't play fair. When the devil knocks you down, he doesn't go to his corner and wait for the referee to count to nine and let you up. He's he's an MMA fighter. He keeps hitting. But still, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You trust him with all your heart. Trust God. He'll take you through it. I remember Dr. Lee Robertson, and I told you this before, he had been in ministry almost 55 years, and I had him preach for me. Went out to eat with him, and he told me, he said, Brother Allison, this has been the hardest year of my ministry. Now, at that time, he was up, what, in the 70s, and I thought, good night, that can't be right. All that you've accomplished, all that you've done, don't tell me. It only gets harder. I was talking with Brother Treber when I was out there at North Valley Baptist Church for their missions conference, and I mentioned that story to him. He said, listen, I heard the same thing from Dr. Rice. I heard the same thing from, and he mentioned a number of different preachers. Uh, Dr. Tom Malone, when he was older, near the end of his ministry, heard the same thing coming from his mouth. It doesn't get easier. We don't have the opportunity to coast. Not till you die. That's when you coast. That's when you get to watch Jesus do it all. Hallelujah. The battle is real. There's the battle to defeat us. There's the devil to deceive us. And then there's the evil day to defile us. Now, I want you to get this. He says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, stand. Is this an evil day or what? People don't even know what sex they are, what gender they are. People don't even know what is natural and what's against nature. People don't have a clue. This is a wicked day. We are worse than the people of Nineveh who God fit for destruction. Those poor people didn't know their right hand from their left. The people today don't even know what they are. This is absolutely a wicked, wicked day. Now, I know I've told you before, but I detest white suits. I I can't wear them. They look good on other people. But with me, something about a white suit or an egg-colored suit, you know, whatever, something like that, they always get a spot on them. And, you know, you get a little spot on a suit. Nobody else may notice it. It doesn't have to be a big spot. But once I see a spot, I I had the nicest white suit. I liked wearing it. But I got a little spot on it. I couldn't look at it without looking at the spot. It's like the spot saying, look at me, look at me. That's all I saw. I'd love this suit, but I couldn't wear it because of that crazy spot wouldn't shut up. (laughs) 
But you know, our testimony is to be spotless. Here we are in a sinful society, and we're to be very careful about our walk. It begins with my heart. That's why we have to keep it with all diligence. And that extends to our actions. There's, there's a word that is used several times in our New Testament. It is the word blameless. Not guiltless, blameless. So that you can't even be blamed. As a matter of fact, let me give you just a few of the verses. 1 Corinthians 1.8. So that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Philippians 2.15, he says that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, Pastors are called as one of their qualifications. They're to be blameless. In 1 Timothy 3.10, The deacons are to be blameless. In 2 Peter 3.14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found in peace without spot and blameless. That's why 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says that we are to abstain from all appearance of evil. Now, I've told you before about I love, I love those long pretzels. I love the salt on those pretzels. I love to eat them. A little little spider there. That's all I could see was that spot. It's crawling up. But I love those pretzels. And we always have some at the house. And I probably should get those that are just the regular skinny little pretzels that are kind of like that, you know. Uh, but I love those pretzels. But when, I'm, when I've got them in the car, like if I'm traveling... What I do is I take the pretzels and I break them up into little pieces where I can put them in my mouth. I do that because I don't want someone looking over quickly and seeing Brother Allison with that pretzel sticking out of my mouth looking like a cigar. That's why I do it the way I do it. I never would have thought about that when I was lost. But I know how people are. They'll see something and they may not see it clearly. And if it's a preacher, they automatically assume the worst. That will be their excuse to have nothing to do with God or the people of God or the church. So it's just a matter of protecting your testimony. If more of God's people would understand the necessity that God puts upon us to be blameless, to guard our testimony so we properly represent Him. Hmm. You know... You, I haven't done this in a long time. It used to be, and basically it still is, but I'm going to start over here. That here's the world in all of its wickedness. And here's the church different from the world. And thank God it is different from the world. But of course, the world gets worse. And unfortunately, instead of the church pulling it back, the church gets worse. It starts dropping standards. Drops just the little things to begin with. 
And then the world gets a little worse, and then the church gets a little worse. And then the world gets a little worse, and the church gets a little worse. Now, it's not just a matter in the clothing thing with stuff like pants anymore. No, that's not a problem anymore. Now, they're wearing yoga pants. They're wearing underwear as outerwear. Have you, ever, have you ever gone to a mall and just, you've seen somebody that was well overweight and they're in that and you want to go up and say, can I buy you a mirror? Because surely if they ever saw themselves in a mirror, they wouldn't wear that stuff like that. I'm glad I got a couple of amens there. Thank you, Brother Bob. All right, but now here's the thing. Here's where the world is today, and here's where the church is. Now, it's still different from the world, but the problem is the church today is worse than what the world was. You say, well, I don't think, I don't think that the standard ought to be the 1950s. No, it shouldn't be. Well, I don't think the standard ought to be the 1930s. shouldn't be. Standards ought to be this book. This book sits in judgment on every culture. Our culture is so wicked, we have been murdering babies by abortion for over 40, let's see, 50 years now. We've murdered some 60 million babies. Guess what? That's our culture. And it's still murder. It's still murder. But most of the people out there think nothing of it. I mean, what's wrong? The church has been willing to move. And so the world feels free to move again and to move again and to move again. So eventually it gets to the place where it doesn't hold anything sacred except their sin. That's it. Yeah, we're in a battle. We're in a battle. There is the devil to deceive us. There's the battle to defeat us. And there is the evil day to defile us. Well, what do we do about that? The Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I, I missed something there. But anyway, read it yourself. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Lord, you've given us the reasons here why we need the whole armor of God. Why we need to stand and why we need to be strong. You've told us here in these first few verses. In the next few weeks, the Lord willing, we're going, Lord, to be studying the different parts of the armor of God that we're to be wearing and why. And I pray, God, you'd help us to walk the kind of walk that best glorifies our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for how you've blessed this church in 40 years. And this is the first service to take us into 41. So, Father, I pray that we would continue to stand for you, stand for your word, and be a people that show that we love God and we love to see sinners be saved. Now, Lord, bless as we go from this place. Help our folks, I plead in Jesus' name.